Welcome back to the Fastest Known Podcast, where 30 minutes every Friday morning, you, you hear some of the most interesting people in the sport tell the cool things that they've been doing. Our guest today lives in Pocatello, Idaho, where he's been working as a physician's assistant and as a professional ultra runner. His ultra career goes back to 2004. He's had good results at Speed Goat and The Bear and many other places. And I am speaking with Luke Nelson. Welcome, Luke. Thanks, Buzz. Happy to be here. Thank you. Well, you, um, you've got this great list of FKTs on the Fastest Known Time website uh, from Tetons, Circumnavigation, Mount Bora, the highest mountain in Idaho, Transion, Idaho 12ers, Utah 13ers. These are, these are big boys. You know, this isn't the one hour type run. And more recently, the world, the Wasatch Ultimate Ridge Linkup. But as we note, uh, you know, a lot of these, these are competitive. So these have been surpassed recently, haven't they? Yeah, the only one that I still have, I guess, is the world. <laughs> yeah, but this, this is credible stuff. I mean, uh, I think it's interesting because the Colorado 14ers, a lot of activity, a lot of notoriety. But you and Jared Campbell identified, well, I mean, look at this. There's, there's mountains in, uh, Idaho, 12, the 12ers. And of course, there's the 13ers in Utah. And why not do those? And that makes, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And those were incredibly aesthetic routes as well. Um, I think differing from Colorado, where they can be essentially done in one single push. Albeit a long push, but uh, linking them together, peak after peak after peak, which um, makes them relatively unique and uh, really dang fun. <laughs> right. In other words, you're not driving. So the thing, the Colorado 14ers are very interesting to me. Again, a lot of publicity, but a few people have done them self-propelled, never on foot. That's a major project is people bicycle in between them. But generally speaking, it's a big crew challenge. So a lot right. of it is the crew logistics. But when you're doing the Idaho 12s, forget the crew logistics. You go up and you don't come down until you get the last one done. So with the 12s, uh, there are nine peaks. Um, seven of them are in one single range, and then there are two outliers. So we did have a little bit of a bump in between those two peaks. But the bulk of it is is the seven peaks of the Lost River Range, which includes Mount Bora, the tallest in Idaho. Um, and, and Utah 13ers is a hundred percent. Once we basically got dropped off, uh, we didn't see another vehicle until we got picked up, you know, a day and a half later. Right. So go to, everyone should go to the website and go to the roots and just type in Idaho 12s, nine over 12s, seven of which are in the same range. And then you do note. You made your rules. And of course, whoever does it first gets established the rules. It says drivers. It is acceptable for someone to drive you between the peaks. However, no foot massagers are allowed. <laughs> That's right. And that came before us, actually. Jared and I followed that rule very strictly um, and had no foot massages. Uh, okay. Our no, attempt. I'm right. <laughs> so you can, you can document that, I, I presume. <laughs> yes, you have to. <laughs> <laughs> you have to. Nice, nice. And that, but now the 13ers, like you said, those are harder. There's 17 
uh, 13ers with 300 feet of prominence because, again, you have to distinguish between little sub-peaks. Right. Yep, and it's but actually it's, 21 points that are over that 13 mark in the range, but 17 of them have that separated prominence. Mm-hmm. And the website notes that it's about 60 miles to connect them. Is that how you see it? Yeah, yeah. I think our route was just just barely under 60 miles. Um, yeah, and, and an awful lot of vertical gain. <laughs> an awful lot of vertical gain. <laughs> well, how much do you think in the, for the Utah 13ers? Oh, man. I don't recall. It was somewhere in the mid to upper 20,000s. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't remember the exact numbers behind it. Um, I'm sure I could pull it up here if I really want to dig into it. But I think it was like 26 or 27,000 feet of climbing. And that's basically off trail. Yeah, the majority of it is off trail. Yeah, there there are a couple of trails connecting clusters of peaks, but the vast majority of it was up on high ridge lines, uh, talus fields, lots and lots of talus uh, on the 13ers. Um, a particular kind of talus that I had not really encountered anywhere else that was loose, lots of loose talus. So you couldn't really trust anything that you were stepping on, which made an interesting uh, mental challenge 30 plus hours in trying to uh, stay on your feet when you couldn't trust what you were standing on. Right. So you did this in July of 2017. Yep. And I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, it was the year before that Jared tried it solo and one of those big blocks moved and uh, sliced his hand and he had to bail out at that point. Yeah, very, very serious injury that he had. And he took the closest exit that I that he could find. And I think it took him 21 miles um, to still get out. I mean, it's really remote up there in, in that part of Utah. Uh, and that led to us kind of teaming up to do it uh, together uh, for the safety aspect. Right. One day, eight hours. And uh, when he had that tough injury, like you said, if that was a leg injury, if you sprained your ankle, well, you're not going to be out for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. And and you're probably not going to see anybody out there to rescue you. So uh, it's pretty serious terrain for sure. Interesting because the Colorado 14ers, hi, I mean, Colorado has between 54 and 58, depending on how you count, mountains over 14,000 feet, by far, by far and away the most in any state, the highest uh, elevation of any state. And yet we're not that remote. The San Juans are fairly remote, but most of these others, uh, you know, it's uh, Mount Elbert. You used to be able, Mount Elbert is the highest in Colorado. Right. You used to be able to drive an ATV to the top. (laughs) <laughs> wow. Crazy. Yeah. Well, I, crazy. I remember being spending some some time in the Sawatch range with uh, also with Jared uh on Nolan's a couple of years ago and uh I I was surprised with how many people we saw uh at various times of the day or night uh on those peaks. Uh pretty high traffic area for sure. Right. Right. Now you live in Idaho, a little less high traffic area, but you're surrounded by a lot of backcountry. Yeah. So you're, you're still liking it there? Oh, absolutely. I mean, nothing, nothing happening in Idaho, you know, Colorado's I heard. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I, I'll, yep, I'll yep. happily, you know, just enjoy the sagebrush and, and things that we've got here. Right. <laughs> right. Okay. Well, you got to grow your hair longer if you want to move to Colorado. Oh, right. Right. <laughs> now you've, uh, 
done some good projects with Jared. What a great partner, the Idaho 12s, Utah 13ers. And your most recent project, which was done on August 17th, just a few weeks ago, was the WORL, which is the acronym for Wasatch Ultimate Ridge Linkup. Jared created it and named it. So tell us about this. The stats are kind of interesting because the, you know, people, people go after the world and look at this number, which is not that long. I mean, in terms of mileage, right. it's not that long, about 36 miles. And they go, Oh, I got this, but they're in for a big surprise, aren't they? They are. Yeah. The world is, is a fascinating route and it's taken me honestly several years to get to the point where I felt like I was ready for the challenge that the world provides. Um, the, the route itself is an extremely aesthetic route. It's very logical, you know, starting and finishing basically on the edges of Salt Lake City and then climbing to the ridge line that it forms a horseshoe around Little Cottonwood Canyon where, you know, Snowbird and Alta ski areas are. And the route is the ridge line. You stay on the ridge. Uh, as close to the top of the ridge as you can the entire time. How would you say, what would you say the technical difficulty is, not on average, but you know, a couple of the most technical spots? Oh, it definitely gets into a couple of sections of fifth class. Um, and I, I've been very cautious with how I've talked about this. I don't consider this necessarily a running route. It's a mountain route. And it, it involves a lot of very serious terrain um, with significant exposure Lots of fourth class and third class, um, and then those sections of fifth class as well. So people could get into trouble. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, if you're if you're a trail runner that's experienced with trail running, you may not have the skill set that's appropriate to do this route. And you need to just start saying that. You know, there is something in uh, France that they call the Killian effect. Yeah, you can probably guess what that is. So people are watching these spectacular videos of this guy, you know, running these beautiful ridge tops, either with his GoPro or with drone footage. And they say, Hey, I want to do that. And then a couple of days later, mountain rescue is called. Yeah. I mean, it's Achillian is such an incredibly gifted athlete and being able to move in that mountain terrain is it's very inspiring, but there is very real risk in that terrain. Um, which is why it took me so long to get ready for this. Um, I wanted to be able to, uh, have the skill set to safely move that, through that terrain to then be able to move through it quickly and safely. Now, did you give it a number of tries or did you go up and project it as in doing a, a, the sections individually? More, more projecting. Um, and that was just a matter of just life demands where I didn't have a lot of time to put in a huge effort over and over again. I did a, a, a run with Jared last year uh, where we ran from his home in Park City to Sundance ski area. And we did a significant portion of the world during that. And then this year I went down to Salt Lake three separate times and spent uh, a total of seven days uh, working different sections of the route uh, before I went for the full thing. So when you went for it, that was your first time going for the whole thing. It was. And, and interestingly, it was the first time doing it solo on those projecting days. I had gone out with either Jared or another friend, which which is an interesting thing for me because I think that this terrain traditionally in the mountaineering world would be something you would do with a partner uh, for safety. It was interesting from the mental aspect to go alone when I was trying to go fast and, and confront these uh, route decisions and the exposure and the risk completely by myself. Yeah, it is interesting. So as we're looking on the website, you 15 hours, 44 minutes, which was 
a mere, relatively speaking, 15 minutes faster than the FKT sent, set the previous year. So did you have that number on your watch and did you pound it down that last downhill? You no, know, I, I had actually spoke with Adam Loomis, who had held the, the 1559 time uh, beforehand and, you know, announcing my intentions, you know, trying to be as uh, transparent as possible with this attempt, you know, had the bullseye written around his time, you know, that I did want to go faster. And throughout the day, as the, as the day went on, um, I put some time into his splits uh, on the very first climb and then held on to that gap, made it a little bit larger throughout the day. And, and he, Adam had put down a miraculous descent off of Lone Peak. His time is just baffling to me. And I knew that I would need every minute of that lead that I had built up on to, to, to be able to hold on to the, the fastest time. Nice. <laughs> this is classic FKT action. So you were out there working on the route with Jared, who was a previous FKT holder, but he's helping you. He's helping you learn yeah. it. And then you announced to Adam that, hey, Adam, I'm going to be up there and get after this. So it's uh, it's a way, if I may, of challenging ourselves to do better and using this sort of as the structure, as the context to push us to do what we want, maybe want to achieve anyway. Absolutely. And and by 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 announcing those intentions, it's not something that I felt particularly uh, boisterous about or that I was going to, you know, just go and trounce on this. I knew it was a very significant record, but I felt that he that, that Adam deserved to know that like I felt he set a high standard and that I was doing all the work that I could to to, to better that standard. Nice. Nice. Well, uh, I heard about the world probably 10 years ago when Jared was a little irked. He said, Buzz, you got to get out here. You know, I was doing various things, but I had never been out on his route. And I confess, I still never have. <laughs> so I feel a little bad about that. But that's why I'm enjoying talking with you. Because like you say, it is a, it is a classic. And Salt Lake City, you know, I should say the whole valley there, there's something in the water. You yeah. Know? People are good. It's a stout part of the country. People get after it. Absolutely. I, I, incredible athletes in that area. And and going out and working those sections, the amount of people that are also kind of projecting the whirl or sections of that route, it, it, it's, it's really inspiring to see the number of people that are putting in hard work. Uh, out there. And I liked uh, the, the term that you and I just naturally are using, projecting, which of course is a climber term. Absolutely. That's yep. your pure climber term. And runners don't usually say that. But like you said, that's what this is about. You can't just fire something like this. It's just like the LA freeway here. You can't just on-site it. Another climber's term. Right. That would be a tough, that'd be a very tough on-site for anybody. You have to project it. And that's what we like about it. It's not a cardiovascular test entirely. Of course, to some degree it is. You have to learn the mountains, learn the area. And in my personal opinion, that's one of the best things about FKTs is it sort of requires you to get to know a place. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And and with these technical mountain routes, um, I, I think it also is a really big element for safety. Um you know, just going and trying to on-site something like this, you could make a bad route decision on one of the fifth class sections. And instead of it being a lower, easier fifth class climb, you could put yourself into 510 or 511 difficult climbing terrain and really, you know, put yourself at significant risk. Well, let's talk about that for a second. Since you, I'm, I'm gathering you're a person who's keen on this risk and you're taking 
you know, you've been around the track a few times. <laughs> so what do you think about this? Um, you're, you've, you took time to project it. You is killing themselves, as said many times. You take the time to learn it before you get after it. Is there any other things you'd like to offer the aspirant or gear tips? What, what do you think, Luke? Well, you know, it's interesting right now with the, with just how mountain running generally across the world is just growing and there's so many new participants coming in. I think that the one of the big pointers that I would give for looking at a route like this is working with a mentor. Um, for me, mm. that mentor happens to be a dear friend of both of ours and Jared, um, someone who knows the route, who's familiar with the terrain, who's also a very competent rock climber. Um, well, he, he had done 5513s right. in uh, one year, about 10 years ago. So competent would, would be a good description. Yeah, yeah, I mean, maybe as with always, it's uh, underselling Jared Campbell a little bit there. <laughs> um, but, uh, but, but finding a mentor who's comfortable in that terrain, who knows the ropes and is willing to show you the path, if you will, um, I think that adds a tremendous amount of safety and it adds a really cool connection to the place to work with someone who knows it. A mentor. This is good. This is classic. And that doesn't get talked about too much anymore, does it? Unfortunately, no. Um, and, and if you talk to, you know, people who have been around even ultra running for a long time, most of them have that, that mentor, that person that helped them get into the sport and learn the ropes. And as we go into this realm of, of alpine light or fast speed mountaineering or whatever we're going to call this intersection of climbing and running. Um, th there are people that have, that have paved the way and, and working with them to, to develop the appropriate skill set to safely move there is, is super valuable. Excellent. I like that. We just don't hear that enough. It used to be part of the vernacular, part of our culture, but mentorship, not so much anymore. I don't think. But very helpful. Indeed, do you think social media is kind of funkily taken that place? I mean, I, this suddenly dawned on me, Luke. So I'm, I, I'll see something on Facebook and someone says, Hey, does anyone know about such and such? I'm going, What? This guy is asking a question about a technical mountaineering route on social media. And I'm, I'm, pardon me, I'm getting, I'm displaying my personal <laughs> bias here, Luke, but I'm thinking, well, get a map, you know, get a guidebook, yeah. go out there and practice, you know, spend some time. You don't re I mean, you're asking me this question. So I, pardon me, Luke, I should calm down. What do you think about this? Well, I, I think that you're, you're actually quite right in, in part of the disdain for this, the approach to it. It's, it's easy to throw up a post on one of the social platforms and say, Hey, what can somebody tell me about this? And there's going to be somebody that will chime in. And I think that that is in some ways serving in place of good mentorship. Um, but it's very superficial. You're not going to get the experience and the, the depth of information from social media. That depth of information comes by, by slogging out a section of the route together or spending a full day in the mountains with another person. Uh, watching them move and having them help you understand the terrain, the, the depth of the experience is far better when it's for real and not on a social media platform. Right. Well, that's kind of, that is what I think. Or a map. Yeah. Maps, maps, uh, I've, you know, M-A-P, you can Google it. Uh, sorry. <laughs> 
I've I've heard of those. They're on paper, right? (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot of information on them too. Uh, I've, I've been known to use them a few times. Well, what was your crux on the world? Sounds like you, you had the each section worked out and you got yourself ahead. So when uh, you got to Lone Peak, the last peak, and you had to bomb it down into the Salt Lake Valley, you, you had time in the bank. Were there any cruxy sections where you got off route or? You know, fortunately, go? fortunately, I, well, fortunately and unfortunately, I, w- I was able to, to, to nail the route for the most part. One mile from the trailhead when I started, I did make a mistake. And going up uh, Ferguson Canyon, and I got off of the main trail and went up a uh, some type of runoff chute. Um, and and Jared and I talked about this. It's close enough to the to the trail route, and it was it was just a route finding error. And I blew a bunch of energy going up this loose, chossy, dirty thing. Um, and that was really the only mistake that I made with the route finding. Um, the crux for me happened at a place called Devil's Castle which uh, mileage-wise is about halfway. Uh, time-wise, it's a little bit less than halfway done. Um, and Devil's Castle was the section that I had done the previous year with Jared. So I had done it, but not as recently. Um, and it, it's not as straightforward as the rest of the route finding. The ridgeline itself there becomes kind of uh, jumbled, and, and it kind of makes an S-curve. Uh, and trying to find the down climb and the up climb through the most technical part of that uh, went a lot slower than I wanted to. And I ended up giving back about 15 or 20 minutes of the lead that I had built up at that point, um, which was frustrating, but early enough on that I knew that I still had some time to to make up a little bit more ground. Well, experience helped you there. Don't get flustered. Don't charge. Uh, reel it back in slowly. Yeah. Yeah. And And knowing that you know, it's not done until it's done, right? There's there's something that could happen that could speed you up or slow you down all the way until that final uh, trailhead, really. Right, right. Well, I'd like to encourage listeners to go to the website and look at the map. The map of world is it's a cool map. Like you said, it's classic. There it is. That You're just this horseshoe around Little Cottonwood with, with the iconic ski areas of uh alta and snowbird wow mm-hmm. yeah and the back and the backside of both um solitude and um brighton are also come up to that ridge line on the big cottonwood side ah yeah classic stuff and right out of town yeah right there luke two more questions so you live in pocatella idaho what can you tell us about idaho that's not a lot of people live in idaho now pocatella is down on the uh isn't it down in the Snake River Plain? It is, yep, in the, in the southeast corner. Um, Pocatello is a place that most people have driven through because it is on the I-15 corridor between Utah and Montana. Um, it, we have, you know, here in town, a couple hundred miles of single track. Um, it, you know, it's enough to keep a person occupied. And then, you know, I, I live here because it's close enough to the other ranges that I like to spend time in. The Tetons are just a couple hours away. The Wasatch is a couple hours away. And that I can also get into central Idaho pretty quickly as well. Ah, so you, you can go to three different nice nice ranges from Pocatello. Yeah, within about two hours driving. Ah, ah, yeah, T- Tetons, yeah. And not a lot of people go into uh, uh, Idaho up there, particularly not Bora. Bora is kind of, mm, I mean, it's the highest mountain in Idaho, 
Lost River Range, it's good. It's scenic, but the rock is not it's good. It's terrible. Man. No, it's terrible. <laughs> oh, thank it's, you. I was going to say that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it takes a special okay. kind of a uh, person to enjoy climbing in the Lost River Range. Okay. All right. But if you go above that, uh, up around um, above Sun Valley. Yeah, around Stanley uh, and the Sawtooths. Stanley. Sawtooths. There we go. Thank you. The Sawtooths, that's, that, there's some pretty good stuff up there. Yeah, incredible. And there's a couple of really cool FKTs in that area. Like what? Uh, the Alice, what would you the Alice Talks Away Loop is probably a classic one. Um, that that FKT just got lowered a little bit um, recently by Cody Lind, but uh, uh, classic, beautiful mountain route. Um, you can get it done in a couple hours if you're speedy. So one worth checking out. Okay, thanks for the tip. And then lastly, Luke, what's next for you? Uh, well, uh, I'm actually headed up to the rut this weekend, put uh, my racing shoes on and go do a little running up Lone Peak there. Um, and then very, very technical for a race. Yes. Do you think the rut's the most technical race in the United States? Yeah, I do. Um, I, I, it's, it's as close to a European mountain race as I think we'll find in the States. Um, they do a fantastic job of, of providing that technical mountain experience. Uh, right. Yeah, it's awesome. I think um, Broken Arrow is not nearly as technical. I yeah. think the rut is the most technical. Yeah, I've not run Broken Arrow, but judging from from the pictures that I've seen, it looks like the, it's a good course, but not as technical as the rut. Right, right. Yeah. Nice. So the rut draws people like you. Yeah, that's that's my jam. I like being in the mountains, and, and maybe I don't have as much leg speed to do the real fast, flat trail races, so I like to level the playing field by getting in the mountains. Are you going to do – they have a vertical K, I think. They do, and I did race that a couple of years ago. Um, I don't know if I've got that speed in me anymore, <laughs> but I'm, ra I'm racing the 28K, so it's the shorter race up there, so we'll see how it goes. Uh, good for you. Good for you. That'll be more fun. Yeah, absolutely. And then I've got a couple other projects up my sleeve for later this year. Might be uh, headed out after an FKT down in Tennessee later this year. So that's different for you. It is. Yeah. There, well, there's this, there's this thing that happens in the spring in Tennessee that I'd like to someday get into. So I'm going to go try and get to know the area a little bit down there. Right. Well, don't tip your hat as to what that might be, but uh, <laughs> astute listeners might recognize the name Frozen Head Tennessee. So yeah, we'll let them do some homework. Do some homework. Okay. Sounds good, Luke. Well, thank you very much for taking the time to talk with us. Oh, happy to, Buzz. Anytime.